Well, if you want an exchange and you want people to actually practice and feel quite loose about it, like you let it flow, I will remove the tables. <laughs> I will remove that kind of, of intervention. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 137. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Benny Lewis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Shannon Kennedy. And today we are going to be talking to Victoria, who is the lead manager at Mundolingo. And I am a huge fan of Mundolingo. In case you guys don't know, they organize the uh, these language exchange meetups in a lot of cities around the world, and they're completely free to join. And you go there, they give you a bunch of flags and you interact and you get to meet a lot of people. And I've just come from a few months that I spent recently in Brazil and I went to a bunch of Mundolingo events and they're starting up everywhere around the world all over again. So I'm a huge fan of what Mundolingo does and it's why I really wanted to have somebody uh, join us today. So thank you so much for joining us, Victoria. And how are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. You have experience learning both English and now Italian, and I'm curious to know what are some of the things that you've done to work on and learn both of those languages? I'm not really sure about that. It's like I always liked them. <laughs> it's, uh, when I was uh, at school, I started uh, studying English. It was part of the normal curricula. And I wanted to learn French, so I started learning French. Afterwards, I... I don't know, Japanese caught my attention. It's not that I studied a lot of those. I made one or two years each of, uh, of each language. Uh, but it's something that, that I really like. Uh, now I'm in Italy. I'm learning the language by being here. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a great way to, to understand the others and to learn about new concepts, other ways of life an excuse to connect okay so i wanted to talk a little bit about uh mondolingo so how did you discover mondolingo and what is your role with them exactly so i'm a designer i have a little label company so i started actually printing the the flag stickers as a provider, as a supplier, I'm logistic manager. Because of that, we needed to ship those uh, stickers to all the Mundolingos in the Americas. And so I really involved with the whole organization and, and the, of course, the, um, the concept and everything. I really liked it. I started going to the events. At one point, the manager of Mundolingo Buenos Aires uh, had to leave the country um, so I took his place and I became uh, manager of Buenos Aires with uh, running for uh, weekly events. Um, after that, the pandemic came. We had to close everything. And we, when I say we, it's like every manager started making different plans, right? We, we figured out what, what to do with our lives and everything. So um, I moved to Patagonia 
And then I, well, we started this project about uh, coming to Europe. So when everything was opened again, people started asking for Mundolingo. And I told Benji, which is the, um, the, the director of the organization, the creator of Mundolingo, I told him I will not be able to, to host Mundolingo anymore because I will, I'm not in the city. I will leave the country. And he talked to me about, oh, well, that, that's a shame. I, I really need help dealing with the, the whole thing now that we are going back to in real life uh, events. And so I told him, oh, I asked him, uh, how about if I help you with this part? Because I really love to work for Mundolingo. And it was quite sad to leave it. Um, so what I do now is coordinate the other managers, all the managers. Uh, we have a group called the Academy and we train and we are in contact with, with every single manager, every single Mundolingo manager in the different cities. So I want to take things back just one step. And for someone who's unfamiliar with Mundolingo, can you talk a little bit about exactly what it is? to organize events to um, facilitate the connection between locals and foreigners in many different cities. We use languages as the bridge, right, as the, the excuse for going those events. So you can exchange uh, the languages you want. Maybe you are learning a language that you want to practice or maybe you just want, you just arrived to that city and you want to meet local people, you want to connect with them. And this is the place we do it. What, what we do is organize these events in different bars. So, and we, we don't uh, make any interventions. We don't give subjects to talk about. We don't prepare tables where you should sit. It's like going to the bar. And, and meeting lots of wonderful people that wants to talk to you. And that's pretty much what we do. So I personally have experience with uh, several Mundolingo events. I've, uh, I've been to a, f a handful before the pandemic. And then before, as I'm currently recording this, I'm in Mexico. But before this, I was in Brazil. And I went to several of the meetups, especially in, in Rio de Janeiro. And I really like the format because, like you said, the uh, flags that are used are the ones you designed. And uh, they're uh, they're lovely. That As soon as you arrive, you say which languages you can speak. And um, they actually gave me the nickname in Rio of Omirita uh, General. So I was the military general because I had so many flags on my chest that I looked like a like I was a military man. Um, and I, I love that for especially international cities, you do get people who are passing through from many different countries and you have an opportunity to practice your languages. And I have gotten to practice every single one of my languages at these events. So I'm a big fan of Mundolingo. I always try to see if uh, they're running something uh, close to where I happen to be. Uh, but before I discovered Mundolingo, I did try to organize my own events uh, myself in some of my travels. I didn't have the same kind of um, gorgeous flag stickers I could give to people. Um, 
my approach was to try to assign them to different tables. So I would have the Spanish table and the French table and so on. Uh, so for people who uh, may not have access to a city that Mundolingo exists in, because Mundolingo events are very well run, I highly recommend them to people, especially because they're free, so you don't have to um, pay to get there. It's, uh, very, it's very, very well done. Uh, but for somebody who's in maybe a smaller city and they might want to run uh, something akin to a language exchange event, given how many you've run, what recommendations would you give to somebody like that? Well, if you want an exchange and you want people to actually practice and feel um, quite loose about it, um, like, like you let it flow, I would remove the tables. <laughs> I would remove that kind of, of intervention. Um, if you don't have the possibility to have all languages as we do, uh, maybe you could assign different spaces so people could go around and, and connect. When you let people be standing, um, it's everything much faster and easier. You are now talking to a bunch of people, maybe in French, and you just turn around and start speaking Spanish with, with someone else. And this kind of dynamic is... It's wonderful. I would recommend to try to do something like that. These kinds of events are super incredible for people who are outgoing and love talking to others and practicing their languages. But for someone who's maybe a little bit more introverted, what would your advice be to them to help them find the confidence and courage to jump into an event like this? Well, as we always say, you, you can come alone and we have um, people that helps in at our events uh, that we say they smash um, shyness. Those are our ambassadors. When we see somebody who is looking like shy or introvert, we approach them and we help them if they want to, of course, to, to connect uh, with somebody else. Like uh, we introduce each other, uh, we help them find the, the, the partner, let's say, because maybe they want to speak a language, a particular language, which is not that common at the event and you have 200 people. So it's different to find maybe the two or three people that are actually practicing that language that, that night. So ambassadors are all around the event looking for people in that situation and helping them to find the match, the, the language match. Yeah, and I would add to that that uh, generally the theme you will feel at these events is very friendly from people that even though we're all strangers initially, um, that I, like, I'm outgoing and I know I see people who feel like they're maybe in their shell and they're, they're not um, kind of potentially approaching others. But what they do have is they have the flags on their chest and this means that it kind of takes a lot of that introversion pressure off that you don't have to go around announcing to the world, hey, everybody, I speak Spanish. I want to practice it. You don't have to do that because I'm outgoing and I would see, oh, my God, this person uh, speaks Irish. And I would go up to them and I would speak Irish to them or they speak sign language or they, they know sign language. And I see this. So even if you're introverted, you are announcing to the world what you can uh, what you can communicate in. 
um, just by wearing the flag. So it's a very novel idea because it does take the pressure off the introverts because extroverts are more likely to get uh, their eye caught on those flags and approach you with that. So it's something I really appreciate. And um, I, I also wanted to ask, because you were mainly helping with the Buenos Aires um, event, and that obviously has its own themes to it and its own feel and its own culture, uh, but you've uh, you've gotten more active in helping with international events. So like, what kind of cultural shocks do you have or what differences have you seen? Because there's that underlying similarity that the Mundolingo flags are there on arrival and you have the friendly atmosphere, but obviously something is going to be quite different in different countries. So what's been, what's been your experience with that? Well, mainly um, the the times, right? You, you can't uh, organize an event in Buenos Aires before 9 p.m. Nobody will come. But then in other cities, you, you have to start when, when it's daylight, right? 6 p.m. maybe uh, on summer is daylight, of course. And yeah, the, then it, it depends on, on who is in there, right? So the feel, the feel is similar, but uh, normally you get more um, contact, um, physical maybe contact. I, I don't want to be mis- misinterpreted. But it's like um, when you have more Latin Americans at the event, it feels a little bit warmer. I'm not saying that uh, non-Latin American people are cold, cold because it's not the case, but the whole event feels warmer. Uh, when you go to a different city, uh, maybe you see people standing a little bit um, farther than the rest of them. But what we, we try to do, and we insist on this, is that to get this the most similar feeling, like you go to Mundolingo in any city, you will know that it's Mundolingo. It will feel uh, quite the same. So speaking of the events, as you mentioned, there's managers for each city. And um, so if someone were interested in becoming a manager for Mundolingo events, how would they go about that? How much is actually organized by Mundolingo itself and how much is organized by the people who are managing that city? Okay, so Mundolingo is, uh, works as a franchise. So we have a format and we are really jealous about it. We want it to be replicated in every city following a manual of procedures. And um, it has to be Mundolingo, as I said before. We, we are really, um, we take care of that um, in a very, well, we, we pay a lot of attention on how those are organized. Um, so managers uh, should apply first. They have to pass the first interview, which is a, an online form. And when they are approved, we have the first uh, meetings and the onboarding process. When they are finally onboarding uh, onboarded, they start the, the training press- process. And we do all that uh, we could, well, we can do um, centralized, right, from, from any part, not, not, not local, I mean. Managers need to do everything that's locally done, like finding a venue, uh, negotiating with the venue owner, 
um, promoting locally, like going to language schools, hostels, co-working spaces, um, to to talk about the event, to deliver posters and other graphic materials. And from the central part of, of Mundolingo, what we do is all the general promotion, all the training and and regular meetings uh, supporting the, the managers and, and that kind of, of things. So uh, there are lots of different cities uh, that Mundolingo events are held in, and I'd love for you to give us a list off the top of your head of the ones that come to mind. But I, I'm also interested in how you guys decide which cities you're going to do this in. Uh, because as a nomad, I'm constantly traveling and I would love to go to a Mundolingo event in every city I go to. But obviously, uh, that's that be a logistical nightmare to do it everywhere in the world. So what's the criteria for how you decide which cities you're going to have these events at? Okay, we'll be completely honest with you. Uh, we got so many applications for managers that we chose from there. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, do we want to open in Berlin? Oh yeah. <laughs> or, or what? That, that's the way, um, Mundolingo growth until, uh, well, before the pandemic. Now we are focusing on reopening cities. We, we have still very, uh, that, that were very successful events that couldn't be reopened yet. Uh, because as I told you before, managers started to do other things. It was a really long time. And we lost them <laughs> and we need new people. And it's not the same to open one, two or three cities per year than to try to open 30 in only one year. <laughs> so it's taking some time, but we would love to reopen in Melbourne, for example, in Cologne, Germany, uh, in New York. Um, we are, we have actually, uh, some managers, some candidates that are working and finding venues in San Francisco, in Cologne, in Monterrey, um, soon to come, maybe Lisbon and Porto. Uh, but yes, we are now focusing on reopening than to thinking, uh, what other cities would be great to have Mundolingo in, which, well, we have plenty of those. So. What have some of the most successful Mundolingo events been? And do they tend to happen in particular places, like related to where there's more tourists or cultural disposition? Or what what would you say is a big signifier for a successful Mundolingo event? Okay, so a successful event is one of uh, 200 people or more. Um, if we have three weekly events with 150, that's successful as well. But the, the, that, um, number of 200 is, is like magical when you reach the 200 people. It like, it is supported. It is sustained by itself. Um, so Buenos Aires is the most successful city right now. It was the first city because Benji lived in Argentina when he created the Mundolingo uh, project. So uh, it started there and it has more experience, like the, the city knows Mundolingo. It's, it's been interacting with Mundolingo for so much longer. So we have on a Wednesday 350 people. 
some weeks, which is amazing. And we have no other cities that could match that. But other successful city uh, we have um, is Montreal. We we got to have a, up to three weekly events there before the pandemic, and now we have two, which is uh, and they are doing really well. Uh, Rio de Janeiro and Lima are two cities with uh, Rio with two weekly events and and Lima with one, but very successful events. And we are well trying to make every single event like that, of course, uh, trying to to develop them to to reach that that uh, amount of people, which is strongly related with the vibes, with the ambience, with with the promotion efforts, of course. But if people know Mundolingo, they should want to go back and they should love it, which is the, the experience we have in all the cities. So we. When that happens, it just grows. It's it's wonderful. Um, Melbourne was really successful before. Cologne was really successful before. So we are, as, as I told you, uh, we are trying to reopen those cities because we know the communities that the community is actually crying <laughs> for for the reopening. And it's well, yes, we need managers and and we need time. So as I was mentioning before, uh, an interesting thing about this is that it's completely free and people, there's no like entrance fee to get into these events. And like you said, they're, they're held in maybe like a hostel or a bar or something like that. Um, but uh, like how does the volunteer system work or like are people paid by it and how is that funded? Because if people aren't paying to get into these events and there's a lot of logistics and a lot of time and energy put into it, uh, how is the team compensated for that? Okay, so we don't ask people to to give us any contribution in money, but we do ask them to buy a drink. So what we get is a percentage for of the of the drinks that are served that night. Um, so we do an arrangement with the bar, and we collect the the percentage. If someone were going to attend a Mundolingo event for the first time, what would your advice be to them so that they have a good experience and can make the most out of the event? Well, this is a part, partly funny maybe, but what we say is after you put your flags on, just stand there and look quite lost. <laughs> you will have at least three people approaching to you and saying, hello, hello, and you will just need to be yourself as not more than that. Uh, so what work did you do when you're putting into designing the flags? Because obviously you could just pull a flag off Wikipedia, but what extra steps did you go for that? And how did you so decide for some of the smaller languages, maybe some languages that don't have official flags, what you were going to use to represent them? Okay, so I will just make um, a comment on this. I didn't design them. I was producing them. The design comes from Benji. He organized everything before. Um, we have a document that actually explains how we add uh, flags to, to our stock. If um, you have a region where many languages are spoken, are spoken, and if that region has a flag and that flags, a flag actually flies on the territory, like physically, that flag, that flag would represent all the languages 
of that region, even if they are not official. So this start, this, yes, could be a little bit tricky sometimes because the Irish flag could represent the Gaelic or could represent the English language. Um, but that's fine because it also, it's a good icebreaker, right? It's like, or you could add the, the whatever the flag you want to use to represent the English language next to the other one, and people will understand that those are different languages. Um, but for some regions, let's say Catalonia, uh, uh, we needed to use the flags that, um, yeah, that, that are flying over that region. So if someone were interested, I know we kind of talked about this in the past, but a new question about this. So if someone were interested in becoming a manager, what would the process to be to apply to become a Mundolingo manager? Okay, we have a, a document that explains pretty much uh, what the role is about and how to apply. And then it has this link to this form, this online form. Um, we call this the interview. This online interview um, could take up to an hour to be filled completely and the way we would like. Right? We, we, we know people um, or we try to, to know people by the answers they are giving us. So if it takes less than one hour, maybe it's filled in too quick way, like too fast. Um, so we receive those applications, we review them. Some of the candidate passes, some not. And if we are inter interested in your application, we contact you and invite you to be part of a group where we start the onboarding process, uh, where we make, well, it's, it's a technical thing. We, we just make sure that they have a social media accounts. They prepare everything to start. And when they start, they start with a venue investigation. If it's a new city or a city where previous venues or bars are, are closed. Um, and the training. Along with the venue investigation, it comes to training. We give the manual of operations and I will, once everything is ready, they just uh, start, start organizing the events, we promote and everything. But first thing to do is to read this document and, and apply through the website. So having run these, these kinds of events, I'm sure so many interesting stories and connections branch out of them. And like, even from the, the handful of events that I went to in Rio, I've definitely made some lifelong friendships, uh, from people who weren't, weren't even Brazilian because you have a nice international mixture. And then of course I got to know the local Rio community as well. Um, I'd love to hear, is there any like, uh, interesting, uh, stories that have come out of all of these very, uh, unique connections or any very rare languages that have popped up that people have been able to practice. And, and I'm sure there have been people who have partnered up for life and, um, like married couples and even children that exist because of Mundolingo. So I'd love to hear some stories of that. M many, many children. Yeah. Actually, we, we keep receiving these messages like that. Well, I met my wife or my husband in Mundolingo. Well, I'm actually responsible for two couples. 
um, but yeah, uh, funny language. We, we, you know, when people sometimes uh, we need to uh, the stickers they have to be put somewhere, and in some places they don't like them to be stuck on on walls, you know, or, or poles or whatever. So we created this poster where people could put the the flags when in the way out of the of the venue. And there was a flag of Nepal. For me, it was amazing. In Buenos Aires, it was like, wow, <laughs> somebody <laughs> came from Nepal or was uh, speaking this language. It was amazing. It was uh, wonderful. Um, and then the stories, yes, but they are, they are, they are all pretty much the same. I just met my, my partner for life, uh, here at the events. Um, I should think a little longer to find another story that could be funny or useful, but what I can say is just the vibe is always wonderful. And, and that's pretty amazing. You, you could meet the same people in a different bar and they will not say hi or even tell what hour it is. But when you are there, totally different. So one of the questions that we like to ask our guests, given that this is the Language Hacking Podcast, and I'm really curious as to your opinion, given your background, but what is your definition of language hacking? Language hacking. Well, that's, that's uh, interesting. I think it would be a fast way to, to understand how it works, how the language works, so you can go on and and internalize it, comprehend it, like start speaking that language. And in terms of the future, uh, like obviously um, you've already said one of the priorities is going to be reopening the events that were closed during the pandemic. And I do look forward to seeing those cities reemerge um, from the ashes of of them having to have it closed down as long as they did. But what other uh, future things are Mondolingo planning to do? Like, are you going to change the theme of the meetups? Are you going to really try to push to have many new cities? Or what, what do you think the future of Mondolingo will be? Yeah, so we have a project, which is this new website. Um, we would like to to try to connect the communities uh, all together. It's like we, we would like to reinforce the, the community uh, feeling and all that could come from that, right? The, the exchanges that you could have uh, from people, not, not only just talking, maybe maybe uh, swapping. We have a thing, a thing called swap, but it's it's... We are testing this new website, but the idea is that it could um, offer the kind of place we offer in real life, but virtually, so the people could interact with yeah inside the, the the communities and build things in common, like be more than individuals. Uh, this is one side of the well the. the of the project and Benji is working on this right now. And uh, yes, we will try to open as many um, cities we can and we are also working on 
different uh, ways of rewarding uh, our participants, such as physical things like a penis or or yes, a stickers t-shirt. Well, we started. We are starting with beans and um, digital coins. Uh, there's a Mundolingo coin going around, but this is all a project, right? Uh, so Mundolingo will become um, a decentralized uh, organization. So everyone would be able to propose changes or way to, to go, and the rest of the community will um, think about that and approve or not that way of or that path to follow. I hope I made myself clear. <laughs> no, absolutely. It sounds like there's uh, interesting new projects on the horizon. But even Mundolingo as it currently is, it's been a breath of fresh air because the uh, the whole world needs to, to start interacting and uh, especially with language learning. I always tell people speaking is so important. And if you happen to be in a city that has Mundolingo, I highly recommend you check it out. I have so much fun at these events and they are perfect for people, whether you're a polyglot like me or there's one language you really want to practice, or if you just want to make friends with other language learners, I would highly recommend it to people. So it's definitely my my favorite resource in the physical world with language learning. So thank you very much for joining us and sharing that background with us. We really appreciate it. We will, of course, have in the show notes links to Mondolingo's uh, social media accounts and to the websites that people can search to find where the actual uh, meetups take place. Thank you very much, Benny. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'm here just in case uh, any questions arise. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for your time. This is really interesting. Appreciate you sharing it all with us. And until the next time, I'll wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. So at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our conversation with our guest. And this is something that you can try out in your own language learning. And so, Benny, I'm curious, what was your takeaway from our chat with Victoria? Yeah, obviously, I I have uh, an interesting association with Mundolingo because I've gone to so many of their events. And I personally organized my own, uh, not associated with Mundolingo, my own language exchange events. And her uh, tip for me, because I will be doing this in future, if I'm in a place that doesn't have Mundolingo, I will organize language exchange events. And I generally did try to put people at tables and say, this is the Spanish table, this is the French table. And her advice was, no, you should have people standing and maybe have spaces where they're speaking particular languages. And I think that's a lot more conducive because if you ever have the chance to go to one of these Mundolingo events, It is a lovely way to socialize and get to know people, including people who may not necessarily speak a language that you're learning, but just having that connection with the language learning community. And I think uh, rather than segregating people per language, um, if I don't have the, if I don't have access to be able to give people flags, I can stick on their chest for them to, to broadcast what language they're learning. 
I would still have this open environment and help people to socialize through language learning. So definitely food for thought me for me because I do want to try to organize these and maybe bring Fluent in Three Months listeners, uh, language hacking po- podcast listeners together in cities because I'm going to continue my world travels and I'll try to take a, a few um, inspirations from Mundolingo and I'll definitely take this one and get it to be a standing event so people are interacting more. So that was my very specific takeaway. Uh, what about yours? I liked her advice for someone who is attending an event like this for the first time or is maybe a bit introverted. And that's to stand there and look confused, which um, for anyone who's not super social, that's really easy to do, or at least look overwhelmed, not necessarily confused. Um, Because it is a really great approach for an event like that to have people come up to you. And I think that as an introvert, even though people know I'm an introvert, there's still this pressure to initiate conversations, which is just not something that we necessarily like to do. Um, but for someone to kind of take that burden off of us as someone who's shy or introverted, it saves a lot of stress. And so like knowing that that's an effective strategy um, at an event like that, which is often counter to the experience you might have at other sorts of social gatherings. If you stand there and look confused or overwhelmed, people are going to be like, Ugh, well, I'll let that person stay in the corner. But in, in an event like this, where the whole purpose is to socialize and practice your language, um, it actually does work. So. I think that that was a pretty good takeaway and knowing, not being worried about, you know, just completely opting out because you, you're afraid to initiate conversations or you're worried that no one's going to initiate conversations with you, knowing that, you know, just by being present, that that's going to happen and you're going to start to build rapport and relationships with people who share something that you're so passionate about. So that would be my takeaway. All right. So thank you so much for yeah, and I, like even even though the uh, just let me add to that, e- even though their uh, managers go out of their way to introduce people, like somebody like me who is extroverted and likes making sure people are mingling, I've gone out of my way to if I see somebody who's who looks like they're maybe having um, difficulties interacting, I would go up and say, "Hey, what languages are you learning?" And I, because I've done this multiple times at the event, I know the people who are speaking that language. And I will actually, like, I don't have to be the one to, to be their best friend for the night. I'll actually like push them to, uh, oh, you should talk to that couple over there because they speak your language. Um, so it's not, like she said that the managers go out of their way to look for people like that. But even just outgoing attendees will do the same thing. So I do recommend introverts check this out. And like you said, it's a good tip. Just look introverted. And that's, that's nice and easy, you know. Exactly. All right. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. You'll find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode, including how to apply to become a Mundolingo manager in the show notes for this episode. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Alice Semino, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. 
The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.